Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Emily Bosco. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. And we do read parts of those books that look really good on your shelf. (laughs) Thank you, campers, for joining us this week. Apparently, it is Funny Voice Week. It is. is. How deep into the episode this would go, so if it sounds irritating to you, you may just want to fast forward and hope that we're speaking in a normal voice later. I like this. This is, it's giving drunk Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, thank you, dear. And I very much enjoy it. Thank <laughs> this you, is why dear. I had to imitate it, the intonation. <laughs> but watch your tongue. A lady should never call out another lady for drinking. True. Sorry. It's not polite. I'm sorry I outed you, Mrs. Doubtfire. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Already forgotten. (laughs) So that's how this episode starts. Great. I love it. I apologize (laughs) sincerely for everything. I think maybe you're feeling a trickle over from last episode when I decided to make, well, all the characters were Scottish, so that made sense. But I also (laughs) decided to make the fish's voice like very high pitched for no reason. Yeah. (laughs) It was so maybe um, you're just uh, riffing off that <laughs> riffing off that. I'm also in like I'm in a little bit of a weird mood. This weekend is closing weekend for Buddy Holly. Yes. Uh, so as listener, as as you are listening to this episode, uh, two days ago, uh, I closed Buddy Holly. And um, as you are listening, I mean, at least if you're listening on the day it dropped, I'm uh, I am back at my mom's house in North Carolina. Um, oh, visiting, visiting family. Yeah. Did it. it went well. We had a huge house for closing. It was great fun. Yay. Everything was It was a lovely. very fun show. And I gather, since it's full of actor musicians who have pretty specific skill sets, I mean, the, the lead guy in the show plays like a million instruments. Yeah. Um, I gather you'll probably do that show again. So listeners, next time he does it, get yourself, make a pilgrimage to whatever city Ken's doing <laughs> Buddy Holly at and go see it because he's very charming and wonderful in it. Um, yeah, it's a fun, it's a fun show. Um, so, uh, hey listener, how you been since last week? What are you up to? What's new? How's life? Um, I didn't hear much from people with regards to, uh, whether or not they succeeded, uh, playing along at home. So oh, I'm going the- to assume that everyone struggled at least as much as yeah, you did. Yeah, <laughs> listen, that game, that game, that is a hard game, <laughs> but that does make me feel better. Yeah. How about I tell you who we're reading this week? Ah, yeah. So um, we're jumping straight into this thing this week uh, because why not? Because it's fun. Uh, let's, let's distract Ken from the post-show gloomies. <laughs> so what uh, what we do here on this podcast, aside from making funny voices, although that is a admittedly huge part of it, uh, is read short stories. Um, we read them cold right here on microphone so you hear us read the story with mistakes and you you learn how it ends along with us and you follow the twists and turns and um we try to make up voices and character decisions and make sense of words that we don't understand and blah 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 you get the deal um 
uh, we pick stories that are in public domain because public domain is the best way to not mm-hmm. get sued for using other people's material. And because it gives us a solid like 40 minutes worth of um, audio that we don't have to plan for because someone else already wrote it. So, so great. really, so great. Really, this whole podcast <laughs> came about because we were looking for a lazy way to make a podcast. <laughs> Um, but this week, Emily has a story for me to read, but first she's going to give some fun facts that will hopefully give a little bit of context to whatever it is I will be reading. Um, another key component of the podcast, I don't know if you mentioned, was accidental or on purpose dick jokes. And so in the spirit of this, I have chosen Philip K. Dick as our author this week. <laughs> No, that's this not, week the author is why. the dick joke. Yeah, that's not why, but it, it was just a, a fun happenstance tie-in. <laughs> um, so Philip K. Dick, a pretty um, pretty big pop culture bigwig, which I didn't even realize until I was researching him. He is someone whose work has been enjoyed, at least in adaptation form, by pretty much all of us, probably, even though we didn't even know it. So his books and stories have been adapted for film almost as much as the legend Stephen King. So Philip K. Dick wrote Blade Runner and its sequel, that mm-hmm. one I knew, but he also wrote Total Recall, which I didn't know, the 1991 with Schwarzenegger, and then they also made it in 2012 with Colin Farrell, uh, Minority Report, which is one of my favorite Tom Cruise <laughs> movies, like Minority Report is in the rotating roster of movies that my family watches over and over and over, so that one I have special love for, um, and uh, A Scanner Darkly, which I haven't seen, and- Scanner Darkly, that's got like, that's got a bunch of people in like- that's what, got is that Keanu one Reeves and um, it's oh, not okay. super new. They were all names that I recognize except that one. Uh, a Scanner Darkly is an animated Richard Linklater script from 2006. Uh, and it's got uh, Keanu Reeves, Robert Downey Jr., Woody Harrelson, Winona Ryder. It's a cartoon? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's animated. Oh, Okay. Listeners, you can look it up, but I, I see. It's it's very humanistic sketches. It, yeah, like Yeah. Oh I actually think I actually think that I think I don't know. I think that it was filmed and they animated oh, yeah. over the they like rotoscoped animation over the, yeah. the film. It looks like like that um that take on me video, how it like switches to animation yeah. halfway through and it looks like yeah. they kind of put a filter over just like real people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it it actually what it looks like is the the like um, the the whole thing was shot using the Instagram yeah. animate me exactly. filter. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, very cool. I'll have to watch that. Anyway, Scanner Darkly. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the I think probably the most recent one is The Man in the High Castle, which is a show I have not watched, but I've heard many good things about. Oh, yeah. It's a series on Amazon. I think so. It's one one, of, the one of them streamers. Yeah. Services. Um, that looks it's it's one of those speculative alternative history things it's what if the nazis had won world war ii yes yes yeah Yeah, sort of um what's his name tarantino-ish in that way um yeah so all of those things are based on works by philip k dick so he's definitely more permeated into the pop culture than i thought um he wrote 44 novels and about 121 short stories lazy fucking (laughs) crazy most of which appear in science fiction magazines during his lifetime and of these, 13 are currently in the public domain. Yay! Sweet. We're so lucky. Um, so so Philip was born six weeks premature with his twin sister, and she actually died six weeks later, like right around the due date that they originally should have been born on. I know. And so this, I think, 
in his work like this seems to have seeped into his mind in some way because the idea of a phantom twin is like regularly pops up in his work um yeah which is interesting and a fun fact about him is that in elementary school, his lowest grade, which was a C, was in the class written composition. So <laughs> kids at home, this is just further proof that if you have a passion for something and you love to do it, don't let some dummy tell you that you can't do it because, you know, you could be a famous author who got a C in written composition. <laughs> I feel like a similar similar things to that have happened to with a couple of our authors where like yeah. they were yeah. mediocre students and where they mm-hmm. really struggled was with their like with yeah. their their composition yeah. teachers. I love hearing stories like that or like of someone who like whose manuscript for their first book was like an assignment for grad school and they got like a C on it. But then it was a very popular published novel. So like when it counted, they got an A. (laughs) Um, uh, So he attended UC Berkeley, but he didn't choose a major and he left early because he suffered from frequent anxiety attacks. And he also um, had a strong dislike of the required ROTC training, which I was surprised, so I didn't realize this, but I looked into it a little bit. ROTC training was compulsory in many major universities, and at UC Berkeley, it was required until 1962, huh. which is pretty wild, because, like, I didn't think that unless you were, like, on that specific track, like, everybody, it was, like, phys ed. Huh. <laughs> yeah, isn't that weird? Um, but yeah, well, I guess, and I, I get, it makes sense that, at least for men, that until the draft was... Yeah, that's true. ...was no longer active that yeah. that they also would be doing that yeah but apparently at uc berkeley student protests were the thing that eventually led to the end of this oh. practice which is pretty cool good for them um yeah so in in 1951 philip k dick sells his first story when he's 22 about <laughs> and i quote i love this premise a dog who imagines that the garbage man who comes every friday morning was stealing valuable food which the family had carefully stored away in a safe metal <laughs> container <laughs> so cute um so that was the beginning of his professional writing career and he never looked back but he he desperately wanted to break into mainstream fiction but he found himself kind of pigeonholed into sci-fi and he actually won a hugo award for the man in the high castle but even that didn't really help him sort of stretch outside of that genre. I wonder what, like, what what qualifies as mainstream fiction? Because yeah. for me, like, I think of fiction and I'm like, well, that's sci-fi and fantasy. Stuff, I know, me too. That, I'm like, like the that's first stuff thing that's made up. Is, right. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Which is, which I realize is not true because, like, fi- I mean, Pride and Prejudice is sure. fiction. Like, right, anything, right. anything that is a novel is right. fiction. right. But now that is true, though. I tend to think of, I guess, because in my brain, like when you're little, you you learn how to make that delineation. Like fiction is not true. Nonfiction is true. So yeah. you just think like, well, what are things that couldn't possibly be true? And yeah. then my mind goes to the fantastical. Mm-hmm. So I always think of like, like I would say, you know, Harry Potter, Lord of the Ring, like that stuff is, well, I guess that's fantasy, not science fiction, but it, it's that's pretty mainstream stuff. So, yeah, it's uh, it's OK, Philip K. Dick. It's it's also I I do think I think uh, I I think public perception of science fiction has changed a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. Uh, Yeah, you're right. Um, Because the next thing I have here is that in science fiction, he was looked at as a genius, but the mainstream literary world was still like unappreciative. So, Yeah. yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, Philip strongly believed in the presence of supernatural forces, and he described himself as an acosmic panentheist. 
which means he believed that the universe was only an extension of God himself. Hmm. Well, pretty. It reminds me of um, like I feel. I mean, I feel like a lot of our authors. What was that word? Psychical. The one uh, like last or two stories ago. Last where week it was two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. where it was like this. He belonged to the psychical school, and he was yeah. like studying supernatural stuff or mediums and stuff. Yeah. Um. But yeah, after reading the works of Plato on the idea of metaphysical realms, Philip Dick decided that the world is not entirely real and there's no way to actually confirm whether it is truly there. <laughs> now, and I'm like, very cool. He did also experience what doctors called hallucinations, which is probably a side effect of his heavy <laughs> pill usage. So like, Oops. it's, uh, I don't know, you know, <laughs> part of it I think was probably a genuine belief system. And I think part of it was Philip was taking some happy he pills. Was, and, he was, yeah. <laughs> Perhaps incorrectly medicated. Yes, exactly. I think his I think his grasp on reality could sometimes be tenuous. Um, but hey, it gave us some of the most awesome some like fiction shit, ever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he he described these episodes to a friend by saying, "quote I experience an invasion of my mind by a transcendentally rational mind, as if I had been insane all my life and suddenly I had become sane." Which is... So he was taking pills and they gave him what felt like moments of clarity. Clarity, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, he tried to stay mostly out of politics, but he did show some anti-Vietnam and anti-governmental sentiments, which sort of makes sense. Mm. Um, in 1960... Like a lot of artists. Yeah, exactly. In 1968, he joined an anti-war pledge to not pay any more U.S. federal income tax, which resulted in the IRS confiscating his car. Sure. <laughs> That'll <laughs> so happen. He paid for that one. Yeah. Um, he died of a stroke in 1982, and he was buried next to his twin sister, oh. which apparently had always been the plan because both of their names had been carved side by side into the tombstone when she had been buried 53 years earlier. Oh, so wow. Yeah, so it's like, I don't know, there's something kind of nice and full circle about that, like came in together went out together knew, knew they were going to go out together yeah but many years apart yeah. you know um yeah so the story you'll be reading this week was published in planet stories september 1952 and throughout research we have been unable to uncover a copyright so i think we're good right this is philip k dick's short story the gun <gasps> let's, let's start, start this fire, fire. the gun by Philip K. Dick. The captain peered into the eyepiece of the telescope. He adjusted the focus quickly. It was an atomic fission we saw, all right, he said presently. He sighed and pushed the eyepiece away. Any of you who wants to look may do so, but it's not a pretty sight. <sighs> well, let me look, Tance, the archaeologist said. He bent down to look, squinting. Good Lord! He leaped violently back, knocking against Doral, the chief navigator. Why did we come all this way then? Doral asked. Good Lord, that's three characters in four paragraphs. I am not going to keep all of these people straight. I was just thinking these voices are very ambitious, but I love it. That's, that's what the listeners are here for. Why did we come all this way then? Doral asked, looking around at the other men. There's no point even in landing. <laughs> Let's go back at once. Perhaps he's right, the biologist murmured. Oh. But I'd like to look for myself, if I may. He pushed past Tance and peered into the sight. 
he saw a vast expanse, an endless surface of gray stretching to the edge of the planet. At first, he thought it was water, but after a moment, he realized that it was slag. Pitted, fused slag, broken only by hills of rock jutting up at intervals. Nothing moved or stirred. Everything was silent. Ooh. Dead. I see, Fomar said, backing away from the IP. Oh, shit, no, that's the biologist. I just hadn't had a name. <laughs> I see, Fomar said, backing away from the eyepiece. Well, I won't find any legumes there. <laughs> he tried to smile, but his lips stayed unmoved. He stepped away and stood by himself, staring past the others. I wonder what the atmospheric sample will show, Tance said. I think I can guess, the captain answered. <laughs> Most of the atmosphere is poisoned. But didn't we expect all this? I don't see why we're so surprised. A fission visible as far away as our system must be a terrible thing. Mm. It, it, is slag a kind of rock? Yeah. Okay, okay. So this is just a, a big it's, boulder it's, planet. It is a dead rock Dead planet. planet, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Got it. He strode off down the corridor, dignified and expressionless. They watched him disappear into the control room. As the captain closed the door, the young woman turned. What did the telescope show? Good or bad? Bad. No life could possibly exist. Mm. Atmosphere poisoned, water vaporized, all the land fused. Could they have gone underground? The captain slid back the port window so that the surface of the planet under them was visible. The two of them stared down, silent and disturbed. Mile after mile of unbroken ruin stretched out, blackened slag, pitted and scarred, and occasional heaps of rock. Suddenly, Nasha jumped. Look, over there, at the edge, do you see it? <gasps> they stared. Something rose up, not rock, not an accidental formation. It was round, a circle of dots, white pellets on the dead skin of the planet. A city? Buildings of some kind? Please, turn the ship, Nasha said excitedly. She pushed her dark hair from her face. Turn the ship and let's see what it is. The ship turned, changing its course. As they came over the white dots, the captain lowered the ship, dropped it down as much as he dared. Piers, he said piers of some sort of stone, perhaps poured artificial stone, the remains of a city. Oh dear, Nasha murmured, how awful. She watched the ruins mm. disappear behind them. In a half circle, the white squares jutted from the slag, chipped and cracked like broken teeth. Oof. Oh, that image sent chills <laughs> down my spine. I hate Tooth-breaking stuff. It's, Tooth stuff. It's too visceral. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing alive, the captain said at last. I think we'll go right back. I know most of the crew want to. Get the government receiving station on the sender and tell them what we found and that we... He staggered. The first atomic shell had struck the ship, spinning it around. <gasps> 
The captain fell to the floor, crashing into the control table. Papers and instruments rained down on him. As he started to his feet, the second shell struck. The ceiling cracked open. Struts and girders twisted and bent. The ship shuddered, falling suddenly down, then righting itself as automatic controls took over. The captain lay on the floor by the smashed control board. In the corner, Nasha struggled to free herself from the debris. Well, I thought this planet had already been... A didn't they come to inspect, like, atomic nuclear fallout, like, ruins? That's what it seems like, yeah. There was some sort of major... But now they're being, like, rebombed. Yep. Oh, my God. Now the ship is getting attacked. Oh, my God. Outside, the men were already sealing the gaping leaks in the side of the ship, through which the precious air was rushing, <gasps> dissipating into the void beyond. Fuck, what did Doral sound like? I think they all had kind of high whiny voices. Dora was like the baby one. Help me! Yeah. Dora was shouting, <laughs> fire over here, wiring ignited. <laughs> Two men came running. Tance watched helplessly, his eyeglasses broken and bent. So, there is life here after all, he said, <laughs> half to himself. But how could... Give us a hand, Fomar said, hurrying past. Give us a hand. We've got to land the ship. It was night. A few stars glinted above them, winking through the drifting silt that blew across the surface of the planet. Doral peered out, frowning. What a place to be stuck in. <laughs> he resumed his work, hammering the bent metal hull of the ship back into place. He was wearing a pressure suit. There were still many small leaks and radioactive particles from the atmosphere had already found their way into the ship. Uh. Nasha and Fomar were sitting on the table in the control room, pale and solemn, studying the inventory lists. Low on carbohydrates, Fomar said. We can break down the stored fats if we want to, but... I wonder if we could find anything outside, Nasha went to the window. Hmm. How uninviting it looks. She paced back and forth, very slender and small, her face dark with fatigue. Mm. What do you suppose an exploring party would find? Fomar struggled. Not much. Maybe <laughs> a few weeds growing in cracks here and there. Nothing we could use. Anything that would adapt to this environment would be toxic. Mm, somehow Lethal. I think he's right. Right about the second part, not about the first part. Which part? Right that, wrong, right that anything they would find would be very toxic, but wrong that there's nothing there. Oh, yeah. Well, clearly <laughs> there's something. Somebody yeah. bombed them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nasha paused, rubbing her cheek. There was a deep scratch there, still red and swollen. Then how do you explain it? According to your theory, the inhabitants must have died in their skins, fried like yams. But who fired on <laughs> us? Somebody detected us, made a decision, aimed a gun, and gauged distance, the captain said feebly from the cot in the corner. He turned toward them. That's the part that worries me. The first shell put us out of commission. The second almost destroyed us. They were well aimed. Perfectly aimed. We're not such an easy target. 
True, Fomar nodded. Well, perhaps we'll know the answer before we leave here. What a strange situation. All our reasoning tells us that no life could exist. The whole planet burned dry, the atmosphere itself gone, completely poisoned. The gun that fired the projectiles survived, Nasha said. Why not people? It's not the same. Metal doesn't need air to breathe. Metal doesn't get leukemia from radioactive particles. Metal doesn't need food and water. There was silence. A paradox, Nasha said. Anyhow, in the morning, I think we should send out a search party, and meanwhile, we should keep on trying to get the ship in condition for the trip back. It'll be days before we can take off, Fomar said. We should keep every man working here. We can't afford to send out a party. Nasha smiled a little. We'll send you in the first party. <laughs> Maybe you can discover... Uh, what was it you were so interested in? Legumes. Edible legumes. <laughs> That's a really fun word. Legumes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, peanuts. Are legumes. Yeah. yeah. Peanuts are not nuts. They are legumes. They're beans. Oh, yeah, beans. Yep. I love um, lentils. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Maybe you can find some of them. Only, only what? Only watch out. They fired on us once without even knowing who we were or what we came for. Do you suppose that they fought with each other? Perhaps they couldn't imagine anyone being friendly under any circumstances. What a strange evolutionary trait. Interspecies war. Fighting within the race. Oh, snap. We'll know more in the morning, Fomar said. Let's get some sleep. Anti-Vietnam. Anti-war. Anti Very anti-war. Yeah. Very stupid humans. Stupid, yeah. Why in the world would humans do that to each other? <laughs> the sun came up chill and austere. The three people, two men and a woman, stepped through the port, dropping down on the hard ground below. What a day, Doral said grumpily. <laughs> I said how glad I'd be to walk on firm ground again, but... Come on, Nasha said, up beside me. I want to say something to you. Will you excuse us, Tance? Tance nodded gloomily. Doral caught up with Nasha. They walked together, their metal shoes crunching the ground underfoot. Nasha glanced at him. Listen, the captain is dying. No one knows except the two of us. And by the end of the day period of this planet, he'll be dead. The shock did something to his heart. He was almost 60, you know. Doral nodded. That's bad. <laughs> I have a great deal of respect for him. You will be captain in his place, of course, since you're vice captain now. No, I prefer to see someone else lead, perhaps you or, or Fomar. I've been thinking over the situation, and it seems to me that I should declare myself mated to one of you, whichever of you wants to be captain. Then I could devolve the responsibility. I don't think it should be Doral. He's he's mighty, <laughs> he's mighty pessimistic. He seems like he's like not even on the ship of his own will. Yeah. Uh, although part of that could be the voice. Lord <laughs> knows we've run into the issue of, <laughs> yeah. of um, voice prejudice leading. Strong to, characterization. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, 
I don't want to be captain. Let Fomar do it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Nasha studied him, tall and blonde, striding along beside her in his pressure suit. I'm rather partial to you, she said. We might try it for a time at least, but do as you like. Look, mm. we're coming to something. You know what that makes me think of? It makes me think of what you were saying the other day about the Lord of the Rings. It was something like, uh, what was it? I forget what, what part of the movie I was talking about, but it was something like anyone who wants to be, oh, about how like Aragorn is such an, um, I'm losing all my words. The reason Aragorn makes a good leader is because he doesn't want to be. Yes. He doesn't yes. want to be in you were charge. Yes, exactly. You, you were should, saying that he's he's such an um, unwilling king, such a yeah. reluctant king, and that that's a good quality in a leader. So I'm kind of like, well, I mean, I, I think it might be more troubling if he, if Dora was like, yes, I want to be captain. I want to be captain. Yeah, Let me be captain. Right. Let me be captain. It probably well, it is me, good that he doesn't want the power. Makes Maybe me, make him a good captain. Makes, well, it makes me think Nasha is the person who should be captain because yeah. she's next in line yeah. and still is saying, like, no, someone else should do it. I wonder if this is going to be a commentary on gender. Let's see. Um, look, we're coming to something. They stopped walking, letting Tance catch up. In front of them was some sort of a ruined building. Doral stared around thoughtfully. Do you see? Uh, this whole place is a natural bowl, a huge valley. Uh, see how the rock formations rise up on all sides, protecting the floor? Maybe some of the great blast was deflected here. Mm. They wandered around the ruins, picking up rocks and fragments. I think this was a farm, Tant said, examining a piece of wood. Uh, this was part of a uh, tower windmill. Really? Nash took a stick and turned it over. Interesting. But let's go. We don't have much time. Look, said Doral suddenly. Off there, a long way off. Isn't that something? He pointed. Nasha sucked in her breath. The white stones. Oh. What? Oh. Nasha looked up at Doral. Uh, the white stones, the great broken teeth. We saw them, the captain and I, from the control room. She touched Doral's arm gently. That's where they fired from. I didn't think we had landed so close. What is it? Tant said, coming up <laughs> behind them. I'm almost blind without my glasses. What do you see? <laughs> the city they fired from. Oh. All three of them stood together. Well, let's go, Tant said. There's no telling what we'll find there. <laughs> Doral frowned at him. Yeah. Wait. We don't know what we would be getting into. They must have patrols. They probably have seen us already, for that matter. They probably have seen the ship itself, Tant said. They probably know right now where they can find it, where they can blow it up. So what difference does it make whether we go closer or not? It's <laughs> a good point. That's true, Nasha said. If they really want to get us, we haven't a chance. We have no armaments at all, you know that. I have a hand weapon, Doral nodded. Well, let's go on then. I suppose you're right, Tance. But let's stay together, Tance said nervously. Uh, uh, Nasha, you're going too fast. Nasha looked back. She laughed. 
If we expect to get there by nightfall, we must go fast. They reached the outskirts of the city about the middle of the afternoon. The sun, cold and yellow, hung above them in the colorless sky. Doral stopped at the top of a ridge overlooking the city. Well, there it is. What's left of it? There was not much left. The huge concrete piers which they had noticed were not piers at all, but the ruined foundations of buildings. They had been baked by the searing heat, baked and charred almost to the ground. Nothing else remained, only this irregular circle of white squares, perhaps mm. four miles in diameter. Doral spat in disgust. More wasted time. A dead skeleton of a city, that's all. But it was from here that the firing came, Tance murmured. Don't forget that. And someone with a good eye and a great deal of experience, Nasha added. Let's go. They walked into the city between the ruined buildings. No one spoke. They walked in silence, listening to the echo of their footsteps. It's macabre, Doral muttered. <laughs> now, I've seen ruined cities before, but they died of old age, old age and fatigue. This was killed, seared to death. The city didn't die. It was murdered. I wonder what the city was called, Nasha said. She turned aside, going up the remains of the stairway from one of the foundations. Do you think we might find a signpost, some kind of plaque? She peered into the ruins. <laughs> There's nothing there, Doral said impatiently. Come on, wait. Nasha bent down, touching the concrete stone. There's something inscribed on this. What is it? Tance hurried up. He squatted in the dust, running his gloved fingers over the surface of the stone. Letters, all right. He took a writing stick from the pocket of his pressure suit and copied the inscription on a bit of paper. Doral glanced over his shoulder. The inscription was, Franklin Apartments. <laughs> That's this city, Nasha said softly. That was its name. Tance put the paper in his pocket and they went on. After a time, Doral said, Nasha, you know, I think we're being watched, but don't look around. Ooh. The woman stiffened. Oh, why do you say that? Did you see something? No, I can feel it, though. Don't you? Nasha smiled a little. I feel nothing, but perhaps <laughs> I'm more used to being stared at. Oh my god, I was literally her... just gonna say that. I was like, <laughs> women women are always have men's eyes on them, so they're just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> oh! Doral reached for his hand weapon. What is it? What do you see? Tance had stopped dead in his tracks, his mouth half open. The gun, Nasha said. It's the gun. Look at the size of it. The size of the thing. Doral unfastened his hand weapon slowly. That's it, all right. The gun was huge, stark and immense. It pointed up at the sky, a mass of steel and glass set in a huge slab of concrete. Even as they watched, the gun moved on its swivel base, whirring underneath. The slim vein turned with the wind, a network of rods atop a high pole. It's alive, Nasha whispered. It's listening to us, watching us. 
Whoa. The gun moved again, this time clockwise. It was mounted so that it could make a full circle. The barrel lowered a trifle, then resumed its original position. But who fires it? Tance said. <laughs> Dora laughed. No one. No one fires it. They stared at him. What do you mean? <laughs> it fires itself. They couldn't believe him. Nasha came close to him, frowning, looking up at him. I don't understand. What do you mean it fires itself? Watch. I'll show you. It, don't move. Doral picked up a rock oh, from God. the ground. <laughs> he hesitated a moment and then tossed the rock high in the air. The rock passed in front of the gun. Instantly, the great barrel moved. The veins contracted. The rock fell to the ground. The gun paused then resumed its calm swivel, its mm. slow circling. You see, Doral said, it noticed the rock as soon as I threw it up in the air. It's alert to anything that flies or moves above the ground level. Probably it detected us as soon as we entered the gravitational field of the planet. It probably had a bead on us from the start. <laughs> we don't have a chance. It knows all about the ship. It's just waiting for us to take off again. Oh, shit. I understand about the rock, Nasha said, nodding. The gun noticed it, but not us, since we're on the ground, not above. It's only designed to combat objects in the sky. The ship is safe until it takes off again. Then the end will come. Oh, God. But what's the gun for, Tance put in. <laughs> There's no one alive here. Everyone is dead. It's a machine, Doral said. The machine that was made to do a job. And it's doing the job. How it survived the blast, I don't know. <laughs> On it goes, waiting for the enemy. Probably they came by air in some sort of projectiles. Oh my god. The enemy, Nasha said. Their own race. It's hard to believe that they really bombed themselves, fired at themselves. How silly. How stupid. How stupid How could these stupid. people be? <laughs> well, it's over with. Except right here, where we're standing, this one gun still alert, ready to kill. It'll go on until it wears out. Hmm. And by that time, we'll be dead, Nasha <laughs> said bitterly. There must have been hundreds of guns like this, Doral murmured. They must have been used to the site, guns, weapons, uniforms. Probably they accepted it as a natural thing, part of their lives, like eating and sleeping, an institution like the church and the state, men trained to fight to lead armies, a regular profession, honored, respected. Hmm. Tance was walking slowly toward the gun, peering nearsightedly up at it. Quite complex, isn't it? <laughs> All those veins and tubes. I suppose this sort of a telescope sight? His gloved hand touched the end of the long tube. Instantly, the gun shifted, the barrel retracting. It swung. Don't move! Doral cried. The barrel swung past them as they stood, rigid and still. For one terrible moment, it hesitated over their heads, clicking and whirring, settling into position. Then the sounds died out, and the gun became silent. Oh, God. This is too stressful. <laughs> oh, God. So it's, so it's like the dinosaur from Jurassic Park. You can't see if you yes. don't move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It's like the dinosaur I mean, from Jurassic the Park. The dinosaur. One of the many dinosaurs. Yeah. It's, it's like the T-Rex from Jurassic Park if yeah. it could spit atomic bombs at you. Oh, my God. It's so scary. It is making me think of, because it said it had veins. Yeah. It's making me think of this uh, this headline, and listeners, look it up, because I'm, I really was, like, uh, the amount that I know about this is totally limited to like just the meme that I saw but it was it was some like brief headline about there was some like whether it was an art installation or like an actual scientific uh, experiment I forget but it was like a machine that was and I think it was supposed to be like a commentary on AI and like it was this machine that would like it was designed to like leak hydraulic fluid and the hydraulic fluid was red and then like an its arm would like would like reach out and scoop it back to itself to like keep going and basically like you would just watch it do that until enough hydraulic fluid leaked out that it would stop and and like the couch underneath was like not this motherfucking machine making me cry like because it's like because it's like this you know sort of uh, like you get very sad watching it but like you're not watching anything alive it's a machine and it's like yeah yeah uh, it was an art installation i remember reading an article about it too because i remember reading an article about it uh about um because eventually it was unable to. Keep it dies. Up. Yeah, it and just it, dies. It, it yeah. died, and an article came out when it finally like. Yeah. It it was like well. It lost too much. It, it lost too much fluid. Too much blood. It's yeah. Done now, um, and yeah, it was very much. It was commentary on like, we're just trying to. We're all just keep trying ourselves to together. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was so interesting, but it's making me think of that, like this gun that has life force, like. I mean, really, really, and also how like our brains assign stories to things. Like we see that and we go, it's alive. Like we write the story that like yeah. that's its blood, and like oh no, it has feeling. Like you know when you watch Wally or something, and it's like it doesn't actually, but we fill in that yep. in our brains, and it's just so funny how we how our minds like have to tell stories. We about like stuff. to personify things. Yeah, we do. We really do. We like to give emotion to things. Yeah, this is how we relate to the world, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense if we can't turn it into a, a person. Yeah, put a face on it. Yeah, yeah and then you'll yeah <laughs> relate to it. So the gun became silent. Okay, yes, sir. Tance <laughs> smiled foolishly inside his helmet. I must have put my finger over the lens. Ha! <laughs> I'll be more careful. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> he made his way up onto the circular slab, stepping gingerly behind the body of the gun. He disappeared from view. Where did he go? Nasha said irritably. He'll get us all killed. <laughs> Tans, come back, Doral shouted. What's the matter with you? (laughs) In a minute. There was a long silence. At last, the archaeologist appeared. I think I've found something. Come up, I'll show you. What is it? Uh, Doral, you said the gun was here to keep the enemy off. I think I know why they wanted to keep the enemy off. Hmm. They were puzzled. I think I've found what the gun was supposed to guard. Come, give me a hand. All right, Doral said abruptly. Let's go. He seized Nosh's hand. Come on, let's see what he's found. I thought something like this might happen when I saw that the gun was... Like what? Nasha pulled her hand away. What are you talking about? You act as if you knew what he's found. (laughs) I do, Doral smiled down at her. Do you remember the legend that all races have? The myth of a buried treasure and the dragon, the Mm -hmm. serpent that watches it, guards it, keeps everything away she nodded well (laughs) doral pointed up at the gun that he said 
is the, the dragon. dragon. <laughs> Come on. Love it. Between the three of them, they managed to pull up the steel cover and lay it to one side. Doral was wet with perspiration when they finished. <laughs> it isn't worth it, he grunted. He stared into the dark, yawning hole. Or is it? Nasha clicked on her headlamp, shining the beam down the stairs. The steps were thick with dust and rubble. At the bottom was a steel door. Come on, Tant said excitedly. He started down the stairs. They watched him reach the door and pull hopefully on it without success. Give a hand. <laughs> All right. They came gingerly after him. Doral examined the door. It was bolted shut, locked. There was an inscription on the door, but he could not read it. Now what, Nasha said. Doral took out his hand weapon. Stand back. I can't think of any other way. He pressed the switch. The bottom of the door glowed red. Presently, it began to crumble. Doral clicked the weapon off. I think we can get through. Let's try. The door came apart easily. Mm. In a few minutes, they had carried it away in pieces and stacked the pieces on the first step. Then they went in, flashing the light ahead of them. They were in a vault. Dust lay everywhere, on everything. Mm. Inches thick, wood Ugh. crates lined the walls, huge boxes and crates, packages and containers. Oh my Pants god, as someone around. allergic to many things, one of which is <laughs> dust, I'm like, this this is the scariest thing I've heard described so far. Not the big gun, the room not with the inches gun. of dust. Not the not the broken teeth. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean that no, that was upsetting. But <laughs> the room full of dust like that? Nah, baby, I'd be asphyxiated. I'd be done. <laughs> I'd be done. <laughs> when visiting an alien planet. <laughs> What is your greatest fear? <laughs> Aggressive aliens? No. The, uh, uh, Dangerous Steve. technology? No. Right. Uh, Steve Harvey, do we see dust? <laughs> Number one, dust. <laughs> Give me dust. <laughs> What's going to happen? I don't know. I forgot where I am. I'm trying to find it again. <laughs> You've got us in suspense. Tance looked around curiously, his eyes bright. What exactly are these? He murmured. Something valuable, I would think. He picked up a round drum and opened it. A spool fell to the floor, unwinding a black ribbon. He examined it, holding it up to the light. Look at this! They came around him. Pictures, Nasha Ooh. said. Tiny pictures. Records of some kind. Tans closed the spool up in the drum again. Look, hundreds of drums. He flashed a light around. All those crates. Let's open one. Film? That's the treasure? It's a hipster Film. planet. Huh? A hipster planet. It's the hipster planet. <laughs> well, I assume that this planet is Earth. Yeah, yeah. Like, right? Yeah. That. Sorry, listeners, if you hadn't gotten there yet, but I assume you have. I feel like our listeners are a little more clever than... Oh, yeah, yeah. A, I, a cut above the average podcast I, I, Yes, consumer. I think so. Yeah, we're, we're, we're on Earth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Doral was already prying at the wood. The wood had turned brittle and dry. He managed to pull a section away. It was a picture. A boy in a blue garment, smiling pleasantly, staring ahead, young and handsome. He seemed almost alive, ready to move toward them in the light of the headlamp. It was one of them. One of the ruined race. Mm. The race that had perished. For a long time, they stared at the picture. At last, Doral replaced the board. All these other crates, Nasha said. More pictures and these drums. What are in the boxes? This is their treasure, Trance said almost to himself. Here are their pictures, their records. Probably all their literature is here. Their stories, their myths, their ideas about the universe. Hmm. And their history, Nasha said. We'll be able to trace their development and find out what it was that made them become what they were. Oh, God, Doral heartbreaking. was wandering around the vault. Odd, he murmured. It is weird to think that, like... I'm, like, having an existential crisis here. That, I'm, like, that, one that day... Is, that is the stuff that, yeah. that future archaeologists would yeah. track down. Like... Yeah. Sometime, hundreds of probably thousands of years in the future, assuming Earth has not been like sure. turned into a, a molten mess. Mm-hmm. Um, oh no! What? Well, I was gonna say someone's gonna run across Campfire Classics, and it yeah. is gonna serve as as a a trove of of Earth's great literature. Except that Campfire Classics only exists on the internet. Hmm. If the internet disappears, Campfire Classics disappears. All right, I'm going to get on this. I'm going to record every episode on a on cassette, an track. Yeah, on a cassette player. <laughs> <laughs> so that my great, 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 great grandchildren can listen to this. All right. And here, their great, 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 great grandma. <laughs> Hi, I love you. I hope you exist. And I hope we didn't leave you with a world that's like a boiling hellscape but you know if you're listening then probably not you're probably okay either that or you've just adapted really well in which case you go girl you go (laughs) (laughs) doral was wandering around the vault odd he murmured even at the end even after they had begun to fight they still knew someplace down inside them that their real treasure was this their books and pictures their myths even after their big cities and buildings and industries were destroyed they probably hoped to come back and find this after Mm. everything else was gone when we can't get back home we can agitate for a mission to come here Tant said. All this can be loaded up and taken back. We'll be leaving about... He stopped. Yes, Doral said dryly. We'll be leaving about three day periods from now. We'll fix the ship, then take off. Soon we'll be home, that is, if nothing happens. Like being shot down by that... Oh, stop it, Nasha said impatiently. Leave him alone. He's right. All this must be taken back home sooner or later. We'll have to solve the problem of the gun. We'll have no choice. Doral nodded. What's your solution then? As soon as we leave the ground, we'll be shot down, 
His face twisted bitterly. They've guarded their treasure too well. Instead of being preserved, it will lie here until it rots. It serves them right. <laughs> Honestly, oh. preach. Like you, <laughs> Humans are dumb. We are. That's, that's the truth. Although I do, from the descriptions before, they said Nasha's face had gone pale or gone dark with exhaustion and she pushed her dark hair away from her face. So the only thing we know about these creatures narrating physically or that they, they walk have and they and have hair. faces and hair right yeah. but i'm like now i'm like well i was picturing them as people but now i'm like are they like big frog creatures or that what do they, they look could, like they could very they well could be, be anything. Like praying mantises yeah. with hair yeah it's pretty cool yep praying mantis with hair and boobs oh god nightmare fuel <laughs> fan art <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs> let's see them green boobies it serves them right. How? Don't you see? This was the only way they knew. Building a gun and setting it up to shoot anything that came along. Mm -hmm. They were so certain that everything was hostile. The enemy coming to take their possessions away from them. Well, they can keep them. Yeah. We're done. Nasha was deep in thought. Her mind far away. Suddenly, she gasped. Doral, she said. What's the matter with us? We have no problem. The gun is no menace at all. The two men stared at her. Mm -hmm. No menace, Doral said. It's already shot us down once, and as soon as we take <laughs> off again... Don't you see? Nasha began to laugh. The poor foolish gun, it's completely harmless. Even I could deal with it alone. You? Her eyes were flashing with a crowbar. With a hammer or a stick of wood. Uh, let's go back to the ship and load up. Of course, we're at its mercy in the air. That's the way it was made. It can fire into the sky, shoot down anything that flies. But that's all. Against something on the ground, it has no defense. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. Doral nodded slowly. The soft underbelly of the dragon. Yeah. In the legend, the dragon's armor doesn't cover its stomach. He began to laugh. That's right. That's perfectly right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go then, Nasha said. Let's get back to the ship. We have work to do here. It was early next morning when they reached the ship. During the night, the captain had died and the crew had ignited Aww. his body according to custom. Mm. They had stood solemnly around it until the last ember died. As they were going back to their work, the woman and two men appeared, dirty and tired, still excited. And presently from the ship, a line of people came, each carrying something in his hands. The line marched across the gray slag, the eternal expanse of fused metal. When they reached the weapon, they all fell on the gun at once with crowbars, hammers, <laughs> anything that was heavy and hard. The telescopic sights battered into bits. The wiring was pulled out, torn to shreds. The delicate gears were smashed, dented. Yes. Finally, the warheads themselves were carried off and the firing pins removed. The gun was smashed. The great weapon destroyed. The people went down into the vault and examined the treasure. With its metal-armored guardian dead, there was no danger any longer. 
They studied the pictures, the films, the crates of books, the jeweled crowns, the cups, the statues. At last, as the sun was dipping into the gray mists that drifted across the planet, they came back up the stairs again. For a moment, they stood around the wrecked gun, looking at the unmoving outline of it. Then they started back to the ship. Mm. There was still much work to be done. The ship had been badly hurt. Much had been damaged and lost. The important thing was to repair it as quickly as possible to get it into the air. With all of them working together, it took just five more days to make it spaceworthy. Nasha stood in the control room, watching the planet fall away behind them. She folded her arms, sitting down on the edge of the table. What are you thinking? Doral said. I? Nothing. Are you sure? I was thinking that there must have been a time when this planet was quite different. When there was life on it. I suppose there was. It's unfortunate that no ships from our system came this far, but then we had no reason to suspect intelligent life until we saw the fission glow in the sky. And then it was too late. Not quite too late. After all, their possessions, their music books, their pictures, all of that will survive. We'll take them home and study them, and they'll change us. We won't be the same afterwards. Their mm. sculpturing, especially. Did you see the one of the great winged creature without a head or arms? Broken off, I suppose. But mm. those wings, they looked very old. Oh, it will change us a great deal. When we come back, we won't find the gun waiting for us, Nasha said. Next time, it won't be there to shoot us down. We can land and take the treasure, as you call it. She smiled up at Doral. You'll lead us back there, as a good captain should. Captain? Doral grinned. Then you've decided? Nasha shrugged. Fomar argues with me too much. I think all in all, I really prefer you. <laughs> Uh, then let's go, Doral said. Let's go back home. The ship roared up, flying over the ruins of the city. It turned in a huge arc and then shot off beyond the horizon, heading into outer space. Down below, in the center of the ruined city, a single, half-broken detector vane moved slightly, catching the roar of the ship. The base of the great gun throbbed painfully, straining to turn. After a moment, a red warning light flashed on down inside its destroyed works. And a long way off, a hundred miles from the city, another warning light flashed on, far underground. Automatic relays flew into action. Gears turned, belts whined on the ground above a section of metal slag slipped back. A ramp appeared. A moment later, a small cart rushed to the surface. The cart turned toward the city. A second cart appeared behind it. It was loaded with wiring cables. Behind it, a third cart came, loaded with telescopic tube sights. And behind came more carts, some with relays, some with firing controls, some with tools and parts, screws and bolts, <laughs> pins and nuts. The final one contained atomic warheads. <laughs> The carts lined up behind the first one, the lead cart. The lead cart started off, 
across the frozen ground, bumping calmly along, followed by the others, moving toward the city, toward the damaged gun. (laughs) The end. Oh my god. I knew, I knew. I was like, these people think they are so smart. We'll just smash it up. I'm like, okay, humanity's dumb, but we're not that dumb. So, something bad's going to happen. Or worse, we're really we're that, that dumb. We're that dumb. Yeah, like, you're right. You're right. The, the gun, like, it's it's self-repairing. It, they, like, yeah. Well, because we're so good at making weapons. We're so good at destruction, and yet it was when, when, he, the, um, when Doral was talking about how, like, we would live on because our ideas would change the people who in- ingested them essentially. And that humanity would live on through them. That can never happen now because we're so obsessed with guarding and, yeah. and being the aggressor and, Oh God, what a great, totally anti-war story. It was, um, it was really interesting given some of the fun facts that came up about his, like his, his anxiety, yes. his dislike of the military training Absolutely. he had to go through for yep. ROTC and his war protests, uh-huh. like it, all of that yeah. played huge in this story. Totally. Um, and I, uh, I love it when we get that, when, when the, the fun facts happen to coincide, yeah. like you spot, oh, that thing, oh, yeah. that's where that came from. Yeah. I mean, there are just, there are certain through lines that authors just have a real bee in their bonnet about and yeah. it shows up in all their works. But this yeah. one seemed particularly like, you know, it, uh, hello humanity. This is a morality tale. Like you yeah. are too obsessed with destruction. You are missing the fact that the thing that makes you beautiful gets like subsumed by this desire to destroy, you know, yeah, your art, your culture, your ideas, all of that. Yeah. So if you got to pick one thing that has been created by humanity that would go into now, and it's your, your one thing is not the only thing that's going in, but you get to pick one thing that is going to go in like a treasure trove in a time capsule that is going to be what either humans for the future or, you know, a more advanced alien race or whatever it's, this is going to be what helps them figure out what humanity is all about. What are you leaving? Oh God. I just teared up because I the immediate answer is the best of Dinah Washington CD because my dad and I because <laughs> my because my father and I danced to that that CD like every night of my childhood and my ringtone on his phone is I could write a book which huh. is one of her songs oh that's Whoa! great okay guys um <laughs> not me crying about a machine like that art installation <laughs> not me cry- I, li- I literally was watching ken with like my dog lucy eyebrows which just like very concerned upturned eyebrows when he was like and they smashed it to bits and the whole part and then the part where it's like the one vein throbbed and it struggled to live i was like Oh, oh, and then I was like, God damn it. Look, look at me proving their point. Got me caring I, about a gun. I care about this God gun. Damn, and like, and, and not guns. just a gun, a freaking nuke gun. Yeah. <laughs> a gun that launches atomic no, bombs. I, I love, I love stuff that, um, that asks questions about AI. Like any story like that, I'm so interested in it, which is, I mean, definitely why my family watches Minority Report every four days, but. Well, it's and just so interesting. That's that's a that's a huge theme for him because that's yeah. like that is what mm-hmm. Blade Runner or do androids dream of electric sheep? Yeah. Um, 
which is the the book that it's based on, like that's what it's about. Yeah, yeah. That is the 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 thing oh, totally, yeah. that it's talking about. What well, makes um, them any different than um if you guys haven't read um Never Let Me Go, that's another great book that deals with this. They made it into a movie with um Carrie Mulligan and Keira Knightley and Andrew Garfield, like twenty ten maybe. Like they're all they're all pretty young in it. Um but it's a really great it's it's a great sort of dystopian novel where like those three are the main characters and it's like people are uh bred basically as like or organ like factories so that they just like get harvested and like it's a world where cancer and like most diseases have been eradicated because they just take parts from these people and then they die so they're like they're like kind of human kind of not human but they are human and then they they just get used for their body parts and they they die young um it's really interesting and it you know it asks all those questions of like you know what is it talks like a duck looks like a duck you know (laughs) quacks like a duck what makes it not one um so interesting uh first of all spot on yes 2010 2010 yep oh Um, damn i'm good and uh, dear listener, if you want to read the 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 book, it's the same title as the movie. Um, Never let me go. Written by Sir Kazuo so, yes, Ishiguro. Kazuo. Yes, Kazuo Ishiguro. Yes. Yeah. Great. Cool. You pronounce it better than I do. I um, I couldn't remember it before, but yes. But yes. he is he is. Um, uh, yeah, he's a sir. Knighted he's British so novelist. Cool. Yeah. Um, who was born in Nagasaki. Uh, and moved moved to Britain when he was five, and has since been knighted. Yeah, very cool. Um, great. So, uh, listener, same question: yeah. If you get to put one thing into a time capsule with a bunch of other stuff mm-hmm. that that is going to be used to teach either an alien race or our mm-hmm. hopeful uh, uh, descendants about what life here was like what's humanity all about what are you going to put in that little time capsule um well and ken what's yours it's a, a hard copy of this podcast yeah um which which <laughs> such like, a hard question well which on which on the one hand sounds a little vain and it is because i want um i want my voice to continue on but also like i do there's there's a not insignificant part of me that's like well a hard copy of this podcast is going to give future people um a sense of the stupidity of Uh human sense of humor completely but also a wide variety of uh of earth literature edutainment Um, edutainment yeah uh, so um asking right now yeah it would probably be a hard copy of this and Um, yeah i mean of course the version the version of this that you convert to eight track that's yeah that's what i'm putting in love it (laughs) well it makes sense right it's like something you love and care about the thing you created of course you want that to you know yeah this is your baby yeah i'm Um, I'm honored to be on it i mean (laughs) i i mean i i hate being asked what my favorite song is what my favorite food is like it's so impossible that like uh, I, you know, give me another two seconds and I'll come up with 400 other things that I think need yeah. to go in the capsule. But I'm just going to stick to my original answer because she does have one of the most freaking gorgeous voices ever. And those songs are about love and pain. And I mean, they're just wonderful. Yeah. And I just like the idea that like the music that bonded me and my dad is going to bond someone else to someone else one day, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and that's what you want to do is you, you want to put in stuff that. that isn't just... Um, 
not just stuff that you think is is going to be um, emblematic of of the human race as a whole, but also stuff that has personal significance to you. Mm-hmm. Because if it connected with you, you know it can connect with people, and right. so that like hopefully it will make yeah. that same connection with someone else. Yeah, uh, that's all from me. That was a good uh, one. So please do write in. Um, you can email us at 5050artsproduction at gmail.com or send those messages to any of our social media. Uh, please do that. Please let us know what your um, uh, what your time capsule item mm-hmm. would be. And uh, when you do, feel free to include the secret passphrase for this episode which is stupid humans (laughs) yeah uh also please like subscribe share us with other listeners seriously sharing us with other people is the best way you can you know spread the news and help us out so if you come back here week after week and listen and enjoy um telling other people is it's a huge help to us like cannot uh, I cannot overstate how how it's the best. How much of a help that would be to just um, let someone else know. Then you'll have a friend to reference all the inside jokes with. Yeah, you'd be yeah. like green boobies, <laughs> green boobies. <laughs> that was a good episode. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So that's that. Uh, yeah. Write us a review if you haven't done that yet. You know, yeah. all of the all the usual podcast garbage that I'm bad at remembering to talk about. <laughs> um, uh, anything before we sign off? Make love, not war. Make tea. Not. Period. Because tea's just, great. Just make tea. Tea's tasty. <laughs> I'm going to go have some tea. Uh, <laughs> and on that note, until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Oh, that was a good one. Thank you. That was my, that was my NPR. Yeah. It really, uh, really went good down on your shelf. At the end.